I think that's based on the theory that essentially if you looked at all the genetic information that's contained within our microbes um, and compared it to what is actually human, <laughs> um, we're only about 10% um, human because the other 90% of the, the genetic information is actually microbial, which is like completely fascinating to me to think that we're more microbe than human essentially. We are back with another episode of the Plant Fjord podcast. I'm your host, Callum Weir. I hope you're all having a fantastic week and thank you so much for taking time to tune in. That voice, that was Dr. Anthony Rafferty, the good gut doctor. This is probably one of the most extraordinary conversations I've had on this show so far. It was an absolute learning experience for Anthony. It was a whirlwind of information and knowledge when it comes to the gut microbiome. I'm excited to share this episode with you as we delve right into the gut and everything surrounding its health. We discuss gut microbes, how our bodies are only 10% human, how the gut differs when consuming various different diets, Anthony's incredible adventures to becoming a gut doctor, and the best fed pigs in all of Ireland. Annie and Oscar. And of course, if you do love an Irish accent, this episode comes complete with one of those two. So let's sit back and let's dive in. Dr. Anthony Rafferty, how are you? Hello, how is it going? It's, <laughs> it's so awesome. good to chat to you. <laughs> it's it's a pleasure to have you on. I, I feel like it's been it's been a while trying to get you on with all your constant shifts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been wild. I think um, it, yeah, it's been so basically uh, or busy clinically, especially over the last few months. And now that things have kind of ramped up with obviously COVID again, we're kind of losing a few staff members. So it's been wild just trying to fill the gaps. <laughs> so it's been pretty busy. And uh, thanks so much for your patience, obviously, trying to schedule a, a time that's suited. That, that's absolutely fine. At least now you've got a few days to relax. You can go play with your pigs. And... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm just so looking forward to just, um, yeah, reconnecting with all the animals and just having some time to cook and do like more yoga and do more meditation and all the things that I love that kind of keep me really well-grounded and kind of feeling good because hmm. um, you know I think when we're super super busy in life these things kind of have a tendency to be the first things that get cut um, and I th- over the last couple of months I've been pretty rigid with trying to keep on top of all of my daily practices that kind of get me through and I think they've been absolutely brilliant but I'm excited to kind of ramp it up a little bit now that I have a bit more free time. <laughs> It, it is hard when you get thrown off the wagon as well to kind of get back into um so I, I can I can have day like days and weeks where I'm just like oh I will go do the yoga and then I'll yeah. forget about it for that day and then for the next like two weeks I'm like uh it, it, it doesn't matter and then like once you get back into it like a month later I'm just like why why have I done this to myself <laughs> yes yeah I like I'm very similar to yourself I think especially when you're really busy with work and things like that I think I know in my mind and my heart how good I feel um, when I do things like my yoga meditation every day. But, you know, the enjoyment kind of leaves 
if you're under pressure in other aspects of your life. And I find during times like that, it's more discipline than enjoyment that I have to mm. really, I have to be like, you know, like when I wake up in the morning, there's no snooze and I have to just get out of bed. There's no, there's no chat with my inner monkey mind to be like, just stay in bed for a few more minutes. <laughs> um, I have to get straight up and just do it. Um, I saw a wonderful video. I think it's Jay Alderton had put it up on Instagram there. And he was like, you know, coming off the back of Christmas, um, when you're struggling to get back into the swing of things, it's more about discipline and just being like, this is this is the, the hard sell, Tony, of just getting it up and or getting up and just getting stuck in. Um, and that's what's kind of got me through the last few months. Um, but I think from the last day or two of not being in work, having a bit more free space to actually enjoy what I'm doing, oh, it adds such a different dimension um, to the whole thing. It just makes you feel so good. Mm. I can imagine, especially yeah. with like what you were doing, like shifts back to back constantly. So just having a bit of time to even just sleep. Exactly. <laughs> <Is the heck>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, last week, I think I worked 100 hours last week, uh, which was just back to back on call shifts. We we're doing 24 hour on calls. And a lot of those shifts, you're you're not resting or, or getting a snooze in. Um, and you're basically on your feet for 24 hours, which is just wild. Uh, so I think good nutrition and some good mindfulness practices are were the key um, to just getting through those periods because you find that you feel you're just in a rut of day to day, like seeing the inside, like four walls, the hospital, that's all you're kind of doing. Yeah. Um, and I, especially like one of my big gripes about kind of hospital life, I suppose, is the nutrition um, that they uh, tend to provide kind of patients and staff with or what's available to eat so um as someone that's plant-based um I, I really do struggle uh in the hospital with eating well so i have to just be very disciplined with kind of trying to keep on top of my batch cooking and preparing bits i know are going to fuel me through the crazy periods um because most days you go in there there's no there's no options for anybody that's plant-based <laughs> which is sad in this day and age that that's kind of what's perceived as healthcare for the staff and patients you know and I'm really hoping that there's a revolution uh, going on at the moment that kind of recognizes that we need to kind of incorporate more um, kind of teaching of nutrition and lifestyle practices in the medical curriculum and just incorporate it more within the structure of the healthcare system you know um, I think it's kind of a vital component that's going to be missed um, and I also, I kind of feel like it's such a shame because I think if you care for your staff, um, they're going to be able to provide better care for the, the patients, you know. So definitely, I think lots to, to um, be able to work with moving forward. But I do think, I feel an, there's an excitement um, going on at the moment, especially with Veganuary and everybody kind of becoming more conscious over the last two years about immunity, the impact of diet and lifestyle on our health um, I think there's definitely a drive more towards about awareness and kind of incorporation of those things into day-to-day -day life and hopefully um, that will filter into the, the healthcare system you know. Fingers crossed because it, it does surprise me I do get I, whenever I've been into a hospital I can go get like a checkup and there's some like and then I'll go to like the canteen they got like these really like greasy like juicy looking burgers i'm like that that can't be good 
I find it fascinating because when we're up on the wards then and you're seeing people come in with like cardiovascular disease and have had heart attacks and stuff like that. And then I kind of go down to the canteen and I'm seeing that there's like, they're serving stuff that's just laden with like trans and saturated fats. I'm just thinking, oh God, like <laughs> this is not what we need for our patients, you know? And there's some fantastic initiatives. Like I'm really, really impressed with some stuff that's going on over in the States at the moment. This kind of like... Um, farm to fork kind of uh, mentality where kind of there's certain uh, healthcare centers that are kind of growing their own vegetables and herbs and fruits and things like that then they use them to kind of create healthy meals for for patients and staff at the hospital and I absolutely love that I think it's a real holistic approach to healthcare that sometimes we don't really recognize in the western model of what what healthcare kind of is you know and um i think i'm very much into a holistic approach to to the body and kind of inclusion of the mind and all of these things and kind of someone's well-being and i think sometimes we just learn the the facts of kind of how a system works and how we fix it you know um at, at, at medical school kind of in this westernized uh, approach to things and i do think there's definitely more of a a holistic approach kind of being cultivated um, or just recognition of, of these things is coming about. So I think we're definitely in a very exciting time um, for change. And um, but I do think it's it's amazing to see um, people like uh, Alan Desmond and um, other kind of medical folks kind of speaking out for the benefits of diet and nutrition on um, on health and well-being i think it's it's brilliant very very exciting time it really is like there, there, there's a there's been a huge shift and there's so much more information coming out these days as well like every time i kind of go on somewhere like instagram or or mainly instagram facebook's riddled with just a lot of opinion but um it, well, instagram is as well but you know there's there's a lot of doctors coming out with um with like, little articles that are easier to read as well so it's not it's not just for medical professionals to kind of read that be like oh I understand what that is it's kind of dumbed down in a sense for the average person to kind of jump in and be like oh I kind of understand where that's coming from um I can yeah. understand this I can understand that and it's making it more accessible to everybody now exactly and I think um there's in the last year there's been this kind of boom in kind of publications of kind of books that really clearly communicate scientific information um, for just people in general public reading and wanting to know more about kind of the impact of diet and lifestyle on, on their health. And that's been transformative. I think that people can actually access um, scientific information that's been kind of clearly explained. And I think that's one of the key kind of tools that we need to, to help people um, because I think when you sit down and you kind of look through scientific literature, like when I started reading scientific literature back at the very beginning of my research journey, many, many moons ago, it was, it's like a foreign language, you know, and definitely through all my training, you definitely learn to write in a specific style. And then on top of that, when you're completely focused and know all of this information in a specific area of science, it makes an awful lot of sense to you when you're writing the article, but I think there's definitely, um, 
it's a lovely skill to be able to communicate those things um, to, to people that might not necessarily be able to kind of understand the intricacies of some of the science associated with it. Because I think there's some brilliant research coming out um, at the moment. There's been such a hype about the microbiome um, and for good reason as well. I just feel it's the powerhouse of the body affects everybody system and kind of whether kind of chronic disease kind of develops or not and that's why I'm fascinated with it and it's lovely to see it getting kind of this recognition that it deserves um because I do think gut health has become a, a kind of a trend uh which I think is brilliant to just raise the awareness of it and it kind of just highlights to people you know what we put into our body it's so important um for our health and, you know, I, I remember this show on TV of many moons ago of, uh, I think it was like, you are what you eat. And I remember being fascinated with the terminology at the time, but now I actually recognize from scientific kind of medical point of view, how accurate that actually was. <laughs> so it's exciting, you know, that this has become, a, a become more mainstream for people. That's the thing, I, I, until kind of delving into nutrition myself, it was, I'd never heard of like gut microbes. They were just like, it, it was nothing, but it's, it's never taught. Like, especially when you're in a school, obviously you get your like your, your nutrition, um, but you're not taught about anything else. And gut health and like microbes are something that I've only heard about in the last, what, two years, two years, two, three years. And then I brought a book on it. Um, I think it was called 10%, oh, 10 Percent Human. Something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, which I read, very wordy couldn't wrap my head around it it was <laughs> there was a lot going on in that book um yeah. so I, I don't know how much I actually took from it at all um yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where it kind of goes in one ear and then comes out the yeah. other and um <laughs> it, it's, it's still even even trying to dumb it down for me was it, it was it was hard but um yeah. how, how do you get in like obviously like when you're a child if you ask somebody um what they want to be when they're older Gut doctor yeah. is not the, <laughs> that, that is not the initial thought. It's normally, no, fireman, doctor, but gut doctor. Yeah. How do you get into that? Because I, was it something that you just kind of <laughs> fell into or just kind of researched or found fascinating? But yeah. Yeah, I think it was, funnily enough, when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist or a vet. And I did pursue the marine biology aspect of life for a good number of years, actually. So I started off kind of completely fascinated with nature and the animals and science. So it made sense to kind of want to pursue something like that, you know. Um, and I did an undergrad uh, Bachelor of Science in Zoology with Marine Biology Focus. And I was just fascinated by it. I find the ocean completely fascinating. Um, and then I went over to the States, to Duke University, and I did a master's in environmental management. And that gave me a really good handle on the impact of kind of life on a day-to-day -day basis on the environment. And it, it was quite like sad in some ways to, to see how we are completely um, like destroying these natural resources in so many ways, you know? And that's when I kind of was like, oh, there must be something here that we can, that we can do uh, to try and kind of preserve uh, the beauty of nature and kind of what's provided for us, you know? So that's when I kind of started to kind of flag, actually there's, there's something going on with the environment here. Um, and of course, climate change was starting to really heat up at that time. 
And I spent a lot of time doing fisheries work um, and I was out on fishing boats all the time and just seeing like the fishing boats kind of dredging up all of these um, like species of fish and just the sheer volume of what was being taken from the oceans. It was staggering. And now I didn't even work on the super trawlers, which is a whole other level. Um, and, you know, it, it was quite confronting to kind of see that. Um, and then I moved from there over to Australia. Um, I did a PhD. I was very interested in reproduction and development and kind of conservation in endangered species. Um, and I worked with sea turtles over there, um, which was absolutely amazing. Fantastic time. I can imagine. Um, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, but I really started to kind of crave um, uh, this kind of sense that I needed to kind of be more involved with helping people um, and I started volunteering at the local women's hospital there and I just gained so much satisfaction from it uh, so I slowly transitioned into clinical research away from kind of environmental research um, and I started working with preterm babies and you know I kind of became very aware of the impacts of kind of like different forms of of delivery like vaginal versus cesarean section how that impacted the gut health um, breast milk and kind of the components in breast milk that contributed to, to um, gut microbiome health in the newborns. And, you know, that was my first kind of exposure to that, uh, which was just mind blowing for me, you know. Um, and so then I went back to study medicine and from, uh, I kind of wove this kind of research thread um, throughout my medical degree and especially now that I'm kind of qualified and out in the working world just trying to delve deeper and deeper into the kind of this microbiome and this kind of arena you know so it's been it's been a kind of a strange path to get here um, but I think ultimately now reaching this stage like I think obviously from a plant-based perspective I can draw in the impact that um, it has on the environment, uh, kind of avoiding um, things that put a, a large kind of uh, footprint on the environment, and then also draw it in from the medical point of view. So I feel like, although it's been a, a strange uh, kind of circuitous route to get here, I feel very lucky that I kind of have training in both environmental and, um, and medical uh, health, you know? Uh, so that's kind of where we're at um from from a kind of a personal journey point of view and it's been really in the last couple of years that i've tried to focus as much as possible in on the the microbiome component that's that's a lot of education right there um, <laughs> that must be rounding up to about 15 learning. years right <laughs> addicted to learning yeah i love it <laughs> so, so when it comes to like the gut microbiome or the microbiome in general what what is it really yeah what it is. So essentially the microbiome is um, the collection of microbes and the genetic material that they kind of, um, they contain. And so basically, if you look throughout our body, there's all different ecological niches on our body um, and different groups or you know, kind of communities of microbes live in each different little space. But the most densely populated of the, the kind of microbial microbial communities is in the colon, the large intestine. Um, and that consists of about nearly 40 trillion different type of uh, microbes. So I think 
what was really interesting when you brought up that book earlier, this 10% human, uh, I think that's based on the theory that essentially, if you looked at all the genetic information that's contained within our microbes um, and compared it to what is actually human, <laughs> um, we're only about 10% um, human because the other 90% of the, the genetic information is actually microbial, which is like completely fascinating to me to think that we're more microbe than human essentially. Um, but they're like, it, it's a fascinating kind of um, community because it basically, it can fluctuate. It can kind of vary depending on what we choose to feed it essentially. Um, so food is the primary kind of determinant of the microbial structure and there's like hundreds and thousands of different types of species or strains of bugs that are kind of living there. And they all kind of break down different things and they help to release kind of nutrients from the food that we eat. And they also produce products that basically keep the gut lining really healthy and well. And these things can whiz off around the rest of the body and basically impact our health in, in other really fascinating ways. Um, so that's essentially what the, the gut microbiome is. So it's most densely populated um, uh, in the large intestine. I'm guessing that's probably kind of where fiber comes into play, really, I guess. Um, was obviously the, the the fiber that we can't digest gets yeah. eaten or consumed by the, the gut microbes. Exactly, yeah. So I think fiber, fiber is absolutely fascinating because um, I think as many of the people tuning into your podcast and everything um, will be aware of, there's this kind of obsession with protein deficiency um, like uh, people are obsessed with it but what we should actually be really concerned about is fiber deficiency um, because most of the population do not get enough fiber and fiber is the primary food source for our gut bugs essentially so um, there's I think fiber can roughly be broken up into two categories there's kind of insoluble fibers um, which are kind of like um, whole grains and whole wheat and some vegetables. They're for kind of cleansing the colon, get things moving, help with kind of the flow through the digestive system. They kind of absorb um, uh, or draw fluid in uh, to the gut as well to kind of help with that feeling of kind of satiety that we're nice and full after we've eaten. And then you have soluble kind of fibers, uh, which generally are in most kind of fruits, veg, nuts, seeds, things like that, legumes and beans. And uh, they tend to be indigestible. So they pass through the small intestine and they move into the large intestine. That's where the gut bugs have their party time. Um, because these kind of indigestible fibers, which we can't break down ourselves, we rely on the gut microbiome to be able to digest these things for us and release the nutrients, you know? So we wouldn't be able to kind of release these things from the food without them. But essentially um, within plants, you have these kind of um, soluble fibers, uh, you have your insoluble fibers also, um, and then you have things such as like polyphenols and resistant starches, and they tend to kind of make up this group called um, prebiotics, uh, which basically feed the gut microbiota. 
So the microbiota themselves, they're termed probiotics. So you know when you go and you go into the store and you see a packet on the counter uh, that's for sale, probiotics, which has become a complete um, kind of uh, nutrition supplement that everybody's interested in taking these days, very well marketed. Um, but probiotics are actually just little capsules of different types of bugs, essentially. So what you're consuming are just little types of bugs that in the hopes that they'll kind of move through the digestive system and exert a positive impact um, on the gut and release their helpful little metabolites as they move through. So essentially these prebiotics feed the probiotics, which are the bugs. And then what the bugs do is they basically produce a postbiotic, um, which are short chain uh, amino acids, uh, such as butyrate is probably the most kind of important one um, amongst others. And that essentially helps to kind of maintain a really good gut lining um, and it can fly off around the rest of the body and have really beneficial impacts. Um, and as well as that, they help to break down, um, or the, the bugs themselves, they break down other things that are coming into the body from our foods. And they essentially, uh, they kind of break it down into constituent products that can then head off to the body, other body sites that can be used to as building blocks for other really key important things. Um, like if we consume tryptophan rich products, that's a building block for serotonin. That's a happy hormone. Now the gut microbes themselves can actually produce um, serotonin, which acts locally and helps with gut motility and all of these things. But precursors such as tryptophan, which are kind of broken down um, uh, can head off or can cross the gut brain or the blood brain barrier and can help uh, to produce serotonin locally in the brain as well. So it's really important that we have a good diverse microbiome community structure and by feeding them the right things so that they can then produce these kind of metabolites and break down foods so we can access the, the nutrients in them to maintain good body function. So the people, but obviously in, in the last, I'd say kind of a few years, there's been this whole um, trend in the, the carnivore diet, um, yeah. which I, I don't see how it's physically possible just to be eating that much of um, just red meat, basically. So obviously yeah. they're not getting any fiber whatsoever into their diet. So how does that then affect the, the gut microbes? Because obviously they're not getting any, any of it at yeah. all. So it's kind of, I'm guessing they're only feeding on what's there. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, this is a, like this is a really fascinating point, actually, that you've made, because some popular diets are actually still structured around this, like the ketogenic diet and kind of things that are heavily, heavily um, meat protein based. So you're essentially consuming very large quantities of meat very little carbohydrate and kind of plant-based products. So essentially you're not feeding or providing any nutrition for your gut bugs. So that's gonna have a significant impact on the population that are living there. So you're essentially starving some of the bugs that are living there. Um, and it can really adversely affect the community structure of the type of bug that are there. So essentially um, there was a great study done um, about I'd say it was about six seven years ago now published in Nature where they essentially looked at um, a population of people where they fed them either a solely plant-based diet or solely carnivorous diet 
and they looked at the microbiome structure and then they kind of switched them over um, and fed them the alternative to kind of see how it impacted the gut microbiome and within even just a day or two there was significant shifts in the microbial community structure that was seen um, in the gut microbiome and it was quite staggering you get the um, you, you get this massive shift to bugs who are capable of metabolizing this large volume or quantity of animal product and they tend to be bugs that are a bit more pathogenic and um, they're involved in kind of the general kind of term for them in the literature is putrefaction, which if you think what that kind of means is to kind of like putrefy this meat or break down this meat product. Whereas there was increased uh, diversity and uh, the production of much more beneficial community structure in the plant-based diet. Um, but what was really, really interesting um, was that they found that there was one specific type of bug flourished um, in the carnivore group. And that's the bug that we see um, is dominant in um, inflammatory bowel disease. So uh, that was kind of uh, what was highlighted during um, that research that, you know, uh, a diet predominantly kind of meat focused can produce pathogenic bugs. Um, and it kind of insinuated that, you know, this specific bug is present. So if you're eating lots of meat, you're pushing yourself more towards an inflammatory state within the gut. And that research, I think, was quite fascinating because I think it tends to hold true with a lot of stuff that's coming out afterwards, you know. Mm. Mm. So it's obviously like dietary choices are going to completely affect um how our gut how our gut reacts um yeah. so obviously i i try at least to I, I think the the you should be i think it's around 30 different plant species kind of a yeah. week um yeah. which i feel like i i kind of do in a day sometimes um yeah. my I, i'm very i'm very plant oriented from breakfast to dinner it's all very whole foods like grains lagoons nuts uh, nuts seeds you know your leafy greens um yeah. but obviously like for somebody starting out wanting to try and change that like obviously eating a predominantly plant-based diet from a meaty diet is that's a it's a big change um so then how is it uh, how would you go about helping somebody diversify their um range of plants because obviously you go into a supermarket and it's very much you know kale broccoli cauliflower uh, there's not there's not much choice compared to um, other like whole food markets you can go to. You've very much you, you've probably got a, a range of ten different things that you can you can choose. Yes, yeah, I think um, it's really interesting actually because when you were saying there that you you could end up eating thirty in a day or more. I'm very much the same, and when I count up my plant points, uh, they're sometimes called. I I end up with crazy amount of diversity in my diet but it's because I'm very conscious and very aware of it you know um and but it took me time to get to that point you know and behavior change is a very challenging thing and especially working within the healthcare system you can advise people until you're blue in the face but it's the desire to want to change themselves um and that's kind of the key component and kind of uh, that that will feed into whether they'll actually make the, the 
behavior change, you know? And I think it's really important for people not to be too hard on themselves when it comes down to making changes. Like I fall off the wagon every now and again, and I don't have necessarily uh, a whole food plant-based meal like every now and again. I love a good um, vegan pizza every now and again, you know? And I think it's about consistency on a day-to-day -day basis. And once you're consistent, um, your gut bugs can kind of withstand those minor kind of interludes when you kind of reach for something that you're craving or you really like. Um, and you know it's maybe not the best thing to be to be eaten, but I think the key is to just be kind to yourself. Um, but then make it easy kind of switches. The biggest thing for me was breakfast time. Um, and uh, I kind of, I post lots about it on my Instagram because I think it's a really great time to be able to kind of make changes and include more things like nuts and seeds in your diet. I use frozen berries um, and I tend to add loads of different types of frozen fruit. I love making overnight oats. Oats are amazing. They're really rich in kind of beta glucans. And as well as that, um, if you kind of create your oats and you leave them sit in the water overnight, it increases the quantity or the, the amount of resistant starch and that's available. So that acts as a prebiotic for your gut too. Um, so overnight oats are a major hit in my house. Um, and then I just try and maximize the, the nuts and seeds and the different types of fruit that I'm including in those. I love to include things like chia seeds and flax seeds. Uh, they're kind of like mucilaginous seeds that kind of, um, really help to get the gut go and maintain good bowel movements. It's one of the first things we'd recommend if we had a patient or even kids that come in is to kind of include those um, in the mornings in your in your food. And then I include hemp seeds. So all those things are really rich in omega um, and they're really brilliant kind of brain foods. So that's kind of the main place where I'd recommend starting. I think some people, especially if they have um, maybe like irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. They can be quite sensitive to some of these things. Um, I generally recommend kind of making the initial switch in the mornings and then later on, kind of if you've done a week and you're finding that you're managing really okay, you can dial it up and kind of introduce more plant-based options at lunch and then a week later, two weeks later at dinner. I feel like sometimes a slow introduction to until you kind of find your feet is the best thing. And you have to kind of think of the gut like a muscle as well. You may have been eating a predominantly meat-based um, diet for a long time that's actually fibre deficient. And then all of a sudden you start trying to horse down all this extra fibre um, and the gut kind of can get a little bit grumpy. Like I remember when I first went plant-based, I was all in. I was like, that is it. And I, at the time, I was telling you a little bit earlier, I was very into bodybuilding at that time. I was obsessed with my protein intake. And of course, the easiest way in my mind to get that was by consumption of animal products. Um, and then when I kind of cut all of that out and then moved straight into plant-based eating, I my tummy was gassy and bloated. And I kind of didn't realize at the time it was best to kind of train the gut by gradually increasing fiber intake over the course of a couple of weeks. So that basically the gut bugs can kind of uh, the communities can kind of diversify and kind of change and adapt to what what you're taking in. Um, but on a, on a basic meal basis, I think easy switches, like if you're doing balmaze and stuff like that, or lentils. I like crumbling or grating tofu into things. Um, 
and just swapping out beans for various bits and pieces. Now, I think there's definitely been a big shift towards more plant-based meat alternatives. Um, and I think it's tricky. I was talking to my other half about this last night. And I was like, could you eat the Albion burgers there? It, and he's been vegetarian for 30 years and vegan then the last couple of years. And he, he would never be able to eat something like that because he feels they're too closely like alike to um to kind of the actual stuff whereas I know a lot of friends who are more transitioned towards plant-based stuff it can provide a great gateway or pathway in uh, to more plant-based eating um, there was some research done there recently looking at plant-based meat alternatives like the Beyond Burger and they in a comparison with meat basically meat burgers and they found that although the sodium content was a bit higher so obviously you have to like not be diving into it every other day but um the saturated fat content trans fats and stuff like that were actually much less so although it's not as good as eating a, a whole food uh, predominant kind of burger made out of black beans and this that and the other um the meat-based alternatives do offer a really good alternative which are healthier in a lot of ways than say meat would be I think I saw that study come out I think it was like last year or the year before where it was kind of um where it was about plant-based meat compared to actual meat and yeah. saying that it did it did somehow improve uh improve gut health in in some parts compared to obviously yeah. the meat option which I guess is obviously you are feeding there is various parts of like soy and other bits in there which yeah. obviously we're, they're good for us um yes. compared to like the meat options but um I wasn't too sure, obviously, because once in a while, obviously, I, I, I'd grab a burger or something. And the same, the same as your partner, actually, is where I've removed myself away so far from um, meat options. Uh, when I tried something um, that was a, um, an alternative, I, I think it was uh, I think it was Richmond bacon. And I haven't had bacon in years. And I tasted it and it, it, you had to double check. And I was like, I, I don't understand yeah. why this tastes exactly the same. It shouldn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it kind of it crackled and everything. And it, it was kind of off-putting for me, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the psychology behind it, definitely, like I would agree, I tend to try, I tend to kind of move away from things like that now because I think over the years I've kind of developed a cooking style or cooking habits that are kind of, are really whole food plant-based focused um, and I kind of tend to stay away from those bits and pieces just like he was saying there that they're kind of too closely linked um, and I think at the very beginning though I did because I was doing it more from a health perspective I was like oh it's fine at least I'm not kind of um eating the animal products but then I think the more that I kind of became interested in kind of mindfulness and kind of um, meditation and the impact that we were having on the planet and on kind of all living beings in a sense I, I kind of moved away from that then because it became more of an ethical and environmental stance for me than just nutrition so that's kind of why I'd move away from it personally but I know that it can provide a good gateway for people in and you know people's perceptions and their thoughts change over time um, and I think if people find that it's a, it's a good alternative that kind of keeps them away from from eating meat then it's a it's a great place to start you know 
I'm an advocate for moving towards anything more uh, plant focused. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like, I have like where I have such a I have an addictive personality. So if I have something like a Beyond Burger, it will then carry on, and I will carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on. <laughs> but I, I I focus it into the right places now, so I'm just like ah. Oh, Whole Foods because it's now then an addiction to that so I feel like I can't really steer off that path as such I, yeah. so I, I, I'm putting that I, I'm putting that um, addictive, addictive personality into the right places so I feel like for, yeah. especially for like especially for my body I wanted to feel the healthiest that it can be I want to yeah. treat it the best it can so obviously me yeah. consuming something very high in saturated fats or other things I feel like I'm not, I'm not treating myself the way I'd want uh, I'd want to be treated from an outside point of view. Yes, yeah, yeah. I like it's so funny because I've become very conscious of of that myself as well, and I I really did have to work with that earlier on in my transition because I beat myself up an awful lot if I was kind of like if I did opt for the the kind of high fat kind of easy option sometimes. And, you know, I think the more you kind of move into kind of the space of plant-based eating, like the diversity really opens up. Um, and it's, it's always so lovely seeing my friends kind of move into that space because initially you're kind of cooking with the same spices, you're cooking with the same three or four veg you always cook with. And then when you realize you can literally create any dish you want, any alternative, like there is, an option, if you need to search something online, if you're craving a carbonara, you're craving a lasagna, you're craving any of these things, there will always be a plant-based option available to you. And mm. absolutely fantastically tasty stuff um, these days. And that's, I think, um, something that I had to really kind of work with, like I was saying at the beginning, that if I did fall off the wagon and kind of crave something like that and I went for it, God, I could be so hard on myself. Um, because it's like you're not sticking to the whole food plant-based goal. Um, but like I was saying, I think consistency and kind of, I think uh, that's the best approach. And as well, like I've become so um, aware of how good I feel when I eat well, you know, how good I feel when I'm making my greater than 30 plant points um, a week. And just the impact that that has on my body and my mental health, like it's been phenomenal. Um, and with all the research that's coming out now with the gut-brain axis um, and kind of the intrinsic link between the gut and the immune system, um, I think it's just the best thing we can do for ourselves is to just take pride and ownership over what we're putting into our bodies. And it's so liberating, you know, I think it's, it's really, really, um, it's exciting. I find it so exciting that we have the capacity to kind of change the trajectory of our health, you know, on a day-to-day, -day, on a bite-to-bite -bite, um, basis. It, it is liberating. So if, if, obviously, if we fall off the wagon once in a while, how, there's obviously, how does that, how does the gut, how quickly does it bounce back? Um, so I'm guessing it's, yeah. I'm guessing it, it, it's kind of like muscle memory as such that it will yeah. kind of bounce back pretty quickly if you have like one or two days where you're where you're indulging in ice cream and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I think with um, the research would suggest that it 
can change really, really quite rapidly. Um, like that study I mentioned earlier, they were seeing changes in as little as kind of 24, um, 48 hours. And then the significant impact, I think it was after as little as five days, they saw that there was these huge shifts in the microbiome. So I think every bite has the potential to impact the microbiome. Um, with regard to what we're feeding our, our bugs. But I think the consistency in the long term about the communities that you're choosing to build um, in the gut, essentially, if you're feeding your gut good stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, small kind of insults to that with something that may not be as nutritious for your gut bugs, they'll be quite resilient and be able to bounce back if on the the other days you're you're doing really well so i think consistency and kind of self love um if you do fall off the wagon um is is the best way to approach things and don't beat yourself up if you decide that you want a meal or or something that doesn't quite fit with your with your general day-to-day -day trends and how you eat but i do think consistency in the long term is what the key to success when it comes to kind of cultivating a, a community in your gut that is going to facilitate good body-wide well-being and good mental health and immunity i i absolutely agree like i, th I think like treat, treating it one day at a time and just making those kind of yeah. slow slow like just just keeping a consistent um or as much as you can dietary choices will always yeah. impact in the best way but yeah. When we go into sports, because I've got a lot of um, plant-based athletes, um, mm. bodybuilders, um, swimmers, runners on my um, on my page, um, how does sport um, affect uh, the microbiome? Because I, I, I'm guessing it, it probably depends for every different sport there is. So I'm guessing a runner is going to have different, uh, very different needs to a bodybuilder, a bo uh, especially like a bodybuilder towards a, um, a swimmer. It's, it's very... Yeah. Yeah, I think generally speaking, from a health perspective, sport and exercise is such a huge um, beneficial thing to be undertaking on a day to day basis. And I say to my patients, and it's something that I completely advocate for is like daily movement, whether that's something like getting out for a walk in nature, doing your yoga, or whether you're more into kind of endurance or strength training. And um, all of these things are going to be really, really good for your health in general. And then there has been some fascinating studies that have come out in like um, elite cyclists, in um, Irish rugby players. Um, and there's been a couple of really key studies that have shown that you do get a much more diverse microbiome and the predominance of certain bugs um, that kind of favor health uh, in people who are involved in exercise. And um, I think in the rugby player study, there was an increase in acromancia, which is the name of one of the bugs. And essentially they were, um, they're kind of associated with decreased obesity and reduction in kind of metabolic syndrome. Um, so you can see that they're bugs that you kind of want living in the gut. Um, and then other species have been found uh, in, obviously in studies that have looked at other kind of um, sporting events. So I, I do think it's really, really 
good to get your daily movement in. Um, and it's important for people who are actually uh, engaging in kind of sports that they're meeting their caloric needs uh, for their body-wide health, first of all. Um, and then, of course, the, the dreaded protein um, a question comes up. Um, which I think a lot of people are concerned about. And like I was saying to you earlier, um, before we kind of got into the, the jigs, the reels of the chat we're having now, was it's something I used to be so concerned about, was um, this kind of protein deficiency. Um, especially when I was bodybuilding and decided to go plant-based, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Where are my gains going to go, you know? Um, but I think it's really important to kind of, kind of take a closer look at what protein actually is and protein is essentially um, composed of building blocks called amino acids and amino acids can be kind of broken down into essential and non-essential and non-essential amino acids we can make in our body ourselves and essential amino acids there's nine of those which we have to obtain from our diet essentially um, and depending on where you read you kind of read these things where uh, people are kind of saying oh well meat protein is complete and uh, plant-based protein is incomplete and I think that's quite inaccurate really um, and there was a fantastic study that came out that actually showed that all plant products contain all um, essential amino acids um, so they're all considered I suppose complete if you're using that argument but um, all the building blocks are there they're just there in varying quantities. So if you have a very diverse diet that's rich in whole foods and you're eating lots of your fruit and veg and nuts and seeds, your beans and legumes and all the bits and pieces, you will be consuming enough protein to meet your demand. Now I suppose the demand kind of varies um, depending on whether you're like a day-to-day -day person walking down the street. Um, and I think the general recommendation um, broadly in the UK and Ireland is that you're getting 0.75 grams per kilo per day of protein. Um, but then again, uh, if you are kind of pregnant, lactating, if you're elderly, your protein demands kind of increase. And then I think there's, if you kind of read, there's a couple of fantastic books that have been uh, released on kind of plant-based uh, nutrition and athletics. There's a book called Plant-Based Athlete by Matt um, Fraser and Robert Cheek. And I absolutely love that book. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, managed to, I managed to get it delivered from um, America because you can't get it over here yet. And um, yeah. I had to find somebody to, on Reddit, to uh, <laughs> pick it up and deliver, <laughs> pick it up and send it to me. <laughs> that's brilliant that's brilliant and like I think the, the fact that that information is becoming available is just fantastic you know um and then of course you have the um proof is in the plants by Simon Hill it's fantastic he has some really great kind of evidence-based um nutrition advice he's a nutritionist and physiotherapist and I think he recommends for endurance training that you're getting about 1.5 grams uh, per kilo per day and then if you're kind of involved in strength training you're getting about 1.8 um, grams per kilo per day and you know if you're if you actually were to put all of these uh, all of your kind of dietary intake into an app even though sometimes I know it can be really challenging from a health perspective to kind of engage in 
in that behavior can bring about a lot of anxiety to do things like that and I've been there and done that let me tell you it does add to the anxiety of food um, intake but you'll actually realize you do consume enough protein throughout the day but obviously you need to consume more protein if you're if you're kind of involved in strength and endurance um, and then of course there are those really high performance athletes that are training for a long time throughout the day um, and you're kind of engaging in sports and activities greater than two hours like you can get this transient leaky gut where your gut kind of freaks out a little bit you get a bit of inflammation and sometimes people who do long endurance kind of running and stuff like that they get like the runners trots and things like that um, but a lot of the research has shown it's just a transient window um, and uh, it kind of rectifies afterwards whereas some people who kind of don't eat the best kind of um, dietary choices may get leaky gut in the long term and it can kind of promote inflammation and contribute to chronic long-term um, illness so it's great that the research has shown obviously that it's just this little transient window um, after exercise so just mind yourself <laughs> afterwards and eat really healthy foods that nourish the gut um, but I think if you're engaged in really intense um, exercise regimes and stuff like that, I definitely recommend people see people like yourself um, and people qualified to be able to discuss appropriate nutrition. Because um, I think sometimes you can do the body more harm than good sometimes if you're not appropriately fueling um, what your body needs. That's the thing. Um, like obviously, when I, when I first... Um switch over to a plant-based diet I was like oh I'm, I'm not going to be able to get the protein um yeah as, as I think everybody does and then yeah. when, when you actually look into it especially with like all plants containing the various amino acids just in different quantities you actually realize you're consuming more than you think you're having per day because yeah, like yeah. A, a lot of these uh, a lot of these apps that people are putting them in such as um I think yeah. it's my fitness pal it just relies yeah. on it relies on people to add in those quantities themselves and then it yes. goes into a giant database so yeah. these people have been like, oh, I've had, let's say they've had, they've had chicken, rice and carrots, uh, yeah. rice and carrots, no protein at all. Um, <laughs> and then, and then it gets yeah. the, the information gets skewed all over the place. Yeah. Um, whereas when you actually go into like, obviously the science of the, the different plants and having yeah. various amino acids, once you're, you, obviously you get some that are going to be lower, but then when you top them up with something that's slightly higher, you're building yeah. complete pro complete proteins in inverted like obviously commas um <laughs> because I, I i still it's still hard to understand the argument of a incomplete protein if there is aminos yeah. there to uh to just just laying around um it's yeah. not like there's nothing there at all um i'm, I'm not overly too sure how it really works with fruit as such because fruit i know is very different to a, a vegetable and i know the protein requirements there are very very low um yeah, yeah. But vegetable wise it's absolutely fine and we're actually consuming yeah. a lot more protein than we should exactly. probably be consuming anyway yeah exactly i felt like i suppose their kind of recommendations based on um kind of general protein requirements that are recommended across the board by the healthcare boards um and from kind of evidence that's kind of coming out at the moment um but from a general day-to-day -day point of view like my feeling is like I generally feel like if you're having a diverse diet that's rich in whole foods you don't need to be worrying about your protein intake and you should, you should try and like move away from calorie counting and just 
enjoy the experience of food um, and just connect with the food that you're eating, appreciate where it's come from. And uh, I think kind of changing your relationship to food can bring so much joy um, in cooking and in consuming um, kind of what nature has provided us with, you know? And I really do feel food is medicine, like what we are putting into our bodies. There's such amazing components contained in all of these kind of fresh um, uh, bits and pieces in a whole food plant-based diet um, and kind of moving away from, like I said, kind of tracking your protein or tracking your calories. It's probably healthier from a mental health point of view too, you know? Mm. That's actually where I was going to dive into next was mental health and yeah. um, the microbiome. Um, because obviously, like, I know with a lot of different essential nutrients from different foods help with the brain. But, um, yeah. well, and obviously nerve function. But I don't know yeah. if that was also the, the gut, the gut microbes obviously getting involved there as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So there's uh, there's such an intrinsic link between the gut and the brain and the immune system, essentially. So 70% of the um, of the immune system resides in the gut, in gut-associated gut lymphoid tissue. And, um, and then of course, your gut, the nerves that supply the gut itself, they're called like, or the second brain or the enteric nervous system. And basically all of these little nerve endings, which there's millions in the gut, they feed back to the vagus nerve, which is like this motorway basically to the brain um, so the gut basically produces tons of different um, products, including neurotransmitters. And like that is so fascinating if you think about it, that your gut bugs are contributing to the production of things that affect your brain. Like, it's absolutely fascinating. But then again, if you actually think, um, if you think from a practical day-to-day -day point of view, like do you ever get that kind of gut feeling that something isn't quite right? Or when you look at the association between um, uh, conditions such as irritable bowel syndrome, there tends to be this overlay of anxiety and depression in a lot of people that kind of are, are, are prone to that. So there's this link kind of appears on a day-to-day -day basis and we don't even necessarily put the two and two together. But uh, generally speaking, um, eating a richly diverse diet that has um, obviously you're more than 30 plant points a week. Um, that's kind of predominantly whole food plant-based can have a, quite an intense impact on how the immune system functions and essentially how the brain functions. Um, and I touched a little bit on serotonin production there earlier. Um, and obviously the precursors are released from the, from the kind of um, breakdown of food products in the gut. Um, and tryptophan is one of the main things uh, that's a precursor for serotonin. Uh, like I mentioned, it kind of acts locally and can go off and kind of contribute to the production of um, serotonin in the brain. But the production of things like dopamine, which is also a happy hormone, and melatonin, um, which is sleep hormone, um, is kind of directly impacted by all these processes. Now, what's really interesting about the gut is that that also acts on this kind of circadian rhythm, like our sleep and wake cycles. Um, the gut kind of has these kind of cycles as well. Um, and I think that's why I 
you know, a lot of proponents or a lot of supporters of things like intermittent fasting um, uh, kind of suggest that, you know, when you're eating during these daylight hours kind of contributes to how the gut bugs would normally be functioning. Um, whereas the whole hormonal profile in our endocrine system, it completely changes. And what hormones are released during um, kind of dark hours and sleeping time, it's, it's completely different to kind of daytime hours. Um, so it, it's really interesting. I think all three are, are very, very closely linked, but directly impacted by the food that we eat and the gut bugs that are present there. Yeah, um, that's the thing, like, intermittent fasting as well, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. it's, like, when it comes down to that, because I, 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 there's so much research from every different point of view on intermittent fasting, and I have no idea if it's actually beneficial to it or not. It's just one of those yeah. things that just kind of, it's just thrown into the atmosphere, people are loving it. People hate it. People use it as kind of a uh, a diet trend, um, yeah. but it's just, it's just one of those. It's one of those. Cult, it's, it's it's become a cultural thing, okay. whether yeah. more more yeah. than science based at all. Um, yeah. So obviously, do the do the guts do do the gut bugs thrive in intermittent fasting, or is it just you're not obviously not feeding them? Um, yeah, yeah. Hi hydration. Um, yeah, it's interesting, actually, because we do the uh, the research coming out on intermittent fast would suggest that actually they do like a period when they can rest themselves like we can. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it does increase um, gut bulb diversity. Um, if you're doing it within kind of like certain windows, you know, there's so many different types of intermittent fasting and obviously kind of this prolonged period I think kind of the 16, eight, um, 16 hours kind of fasting, eight hours of eating um, has become one of the most popular um, varieties. But generally speaking, giving yourself a good break over the night um, and just allowing them to rest, it does appear to actually increase the diversity in the gut, uh, funnily enough. But now the thing is, all of our gut microbiota uh, and the structure of the community in the gut it is so individual. It's like a fingerprint for each of us. Um, so it's really important to work with your body with regard to what's going to work for you and what isn't. Um, you know, some uh, people may not get on well with intermittent fasting and others may get on great. Um, I know some of my friends, some female friends, especially during their menstrual cycle, um, at certain times during that, they just cannot tolerate the intermittent fasting. Um, whereas other people I know absolutely love it and their good health has improved um, from doing some intermittent fasting. I tend to kind of give myself a couple of hours in the morning after I wake up um, before I eat my breakfast, if work allows it, um, just to give myself the extra little, little kind of um, period that the gut can kind of rest. But I think it does seem to be quite important in the, the functioning of the gut is to give it some time and to just uh, have some mindfulness, <laughs> mindful moments for the good folks. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes down to food, um, at the moment, I'm very into my sauerkraut. I'm very into my fermented foods. And I know fermented foods are great for gut bug health. Yeah. But um, if anything, I, I, I actually have no idea how it helps. I just know that the food yeah. sitting there getting moldier is somehow helping <laughs> it's like it's like tempeh as well tempeh is just it's, it's a fermented 
soybean. Obviously, sometimes you get out of the packet. It is a bit odd, yeah. moldy, odd and moldy looking, and you're kind of like, "Is this really helping?" Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed with fermented fermented foods. I'm absolutely obsessed with them, um, and I make a lot of different kind of varieties of sauerkraut and pink pickle and kimchi and stuff like that at home. Um, and I also make my own kombucha and water kefir. And I just flavor them up differently. And it's such a lovely alternative. And especially when I kind of moved more away from kind of alcohol consumption. Now, don't get me wrong. I still love a glass of red wine every now and again. Um, but uh, it's kind of been, it was a lovely substitute uh, to be able to kind of bring with me to parties and stuff like that. Because it's still, it's super refreshing. And I know I've made it myself and it's healthy for me, you know. Um, so I know it works as a good alternative for some folks. Um, but the literature coming out on fermented foods, it's kind of just, uh, you know, there wasn't loads of work done on this until re relatively recently. And now there's the, been this kind of surge um, in fermented food research, and it very much can positively impact the diversity of your gut microbiome. And I think there's a lot of good work going on, even over in University College Cork, they're doing a, a bit of work on fermented foods as well. And um, if you think of it, the fermented food, so people may choose to buy a probiotic over the counter and they're buying a specific strain of bug that may be like a mono bug, so just one type of species, or there could be four strains of bug in the pill, or there could be 12 strains. Um, but there's no other nutrients or vitamins or minerals available in that pill essentially whereas when you have things like fermented foods where you're kind of um fermenting things like your uh, cabbage or whatever you're fermenting at the time you're getting the production of all of these naturally occurring bugs uh, and essentially it's like a, a dietary natural uh, probiotic so you're consuming these kind of healthy bugs that live naturally in the product but what you're also getting is the breakdown of loads of um, nutrients and trapped things that are in these plant products the bugs are breaking all those things down and making them available for our bodies so you're also getting your vitamins and minerals and other nutrients in there when you're consuming the product um, which you don't get from a store-bought probiotic so Essentially, I will wholeheartedly recommend um, fermented foods as one of the first go-to things um, to kind of improve gut bug diversity. First thing is obviously maximizing plants in your diet and opting for more than kind of 30 different types of plant a week. And then I'd recommend the inclusion of fermented products 100%. I think they're brilliant. And um, then there's a couple of other kind of key things that I love, which include like sprouts. I absolutely love sprouting things. I think soaking and sprouting helps to make things more tolerable for people. Like I had quite a sensitivity um, back when my own gut wasn't in best form after my of my meat-based um, bodybuilding days. And um, sprouting lentils completely helped to, to re-familiarize my body with those. Um, and of course, sprouting things like broccoli seeds really, really increases the amount of sulforaphane available. And that's an amazing and potent anti-inflammatory for the body. 
And then other things that I'm obsessed with are obviously things like garlic and um, ginger um, and turmeric, fresh turmeric I'm obsessed with. Um, and of course, if you mix that with the black pepper, the piperine and black pepper, it kind of maximizes the absorption of curcumin. And which is also really powerfully anti-inflammatory. So they're the kind of main go-tos that I have on a daily basis, but fermented foods is 100% I have with most meals. <laughs> I just have loads of different jars bubbling away and I just scoop out a bit of different ones to kind of vary what I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> when, when it does come to sprouting, I actually brought a sprouting jar the other day um, oh, because I, I, I love broccoli sprouts. Yeah. yeah, when you buy them from anywhere, that's so expensive. So I was like, it's probably cheaper for me to do this myself. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's so easy. It's so easy. Um, and you can do it in the space of four or five days, you know, just on the countertop in a jar. Um, and I'm like, I'm completely obsessed with an Irish company. I love supporting local um, called um, New Fields. And they have lots of beautiful organic seeds and they have lovely kits um, made up that make it just really accessible and easy for people to get into sprouting um, and they have lots of great information on their on their website um, and I absolutely I'm obsessed I have jars of seeds sprouting everywhere and I've jars and lots of bubbling fermented bits it's like a science experiment in my kitchen <laughs> <gasps> oh that's amazing um, I think we're going to round this up in a second. Um, I, for me, this has been such a, a mind-blown experience as well, just kind of learning so much about what I thought I knew from like one book to not knowing anything, basically, to learning a lot. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm so glad. <laughs> and, and I feel like anybody else listening to this podcast is going to take some valuable information away from this. Um, oh, brilliant, completely. brilliant. Well, I have my Instagram page if anybody wants to get in touch with anything. Obviously, I don't provide any medical advice, but I love chatting about uh, food and nutrition and fermenting and um, sprouts. <laughs> so, I, I, was, I was about to say, so like, before we do, before we do round us up, obviously, um, you are the owner of two precious looking pigs. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> how and why? Because every time I see them, I'm like, I really need a pig. I don't know where to acquire a pig for one. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and where would I keep one? Um, <laughs> everybody needs a pig in their life. Like everybody. <laughs> They're just <laughs> the most amazing pets. So we have like we do have a load of different animals. We just love providing safe, loving homes for them, really. Um, and yes, we end up getting these guys kind of early in the year. It's been absolutely brilliant because they're cooney cooney, which are plant-based, basically foragers that go around and they eat roots and basically anything that we eat in the house. So it's been amazing from a food waste point of view as well, because obviously we're just eating animal based or we're only eating plant-based products. We can give any of the leftovers of the skins of things and stuff like that to the pigs and they're delighted with life. <laughs> but um it's so funny because I've become obsessed with their gut microbiome as well. So I make up like big whole grain mixes for them with lentils and beans and we give them like spirulina and linseed oil and um we really maximize the diversity of plants in their diet too. But I have to tell you, they're 
coats are just so beautiful and they just flourish and they're so healthy. So it's really gone to show me actually, you know, I was advised when we first got them to just give them a, a scoop of barley. And I thought to myself, like these animals have gut bugs living like we do, you know? And so it's been a lovely experiment, <laughs> um, giving them plant diversity as well, but they are those loving, happy little things. They're just so gorgeous. Um, and their little noises, oh, they're lovely. Probably the best, 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 best look, I can't say it, best fed pigs in Ireland. So. <laughs> oh God, I'd say so. Everybody laughs. They're like, oh my God, Tony, what are you giving those pigs? We're going out with the watermelon and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> What what other animals do you have? Is it, obviously, it's not just pigs. Yeah, we have Henry the dog, we have Tibby the cat, we have five tortoises. Um, one of the, well, we actually had two until this year, and then they had three babies. Um, so here I get the right here. I'll show you one of them. If you're, I suppose, with the podcast, you won't be able to hear it, but there's one of the little babas. Oh, that's <laughs> absolutely adorable. They just live beside my desk so I can sit looking at them during the day. <laughs> and um, we've three donkeys and six chickens. Um, and is there anything else? I feel like I'm missing something. And then the two pigs, obviously. <laughs> and the puppy. <laughs> so it's like a small zoo. Oh, I absolutely love a donkey as well. They're the strangest little creatures to look at, but I love them. Yeah. Just, just, just their heads compared to their bodies just don't make sense to me. But um, yeah. <laughs> everything about them is like the most adorable thing. Well, I think these guys, we got two, we adopted two essentially, and one of them was pregnant and had a baba. I th there are more mules now than donkeys because they're quite big. But the one who was born here, his name is Paddy. And he is the kindest, sweetest little thing. He loves his cuddles. So I just, when I'm not in work, I just love spending time out, like planting vegetables and just doing the garden and spend time with the animals. It's just so lovely, lovely relief from things. And of course, interacting with all the bugs in the soil, bugs around me in the air. I think nature is just so good to us and it's great for our gut bugs too. <laughs> And one last thing that I ask all my guests um, before we leave is, so when you've had a long, long, long day yes. and you don't have time to cook, but you want something nutritious and you just kind of like you're bunging things together as quick as possible. What is your go-to meal? Oh my God. So my favorite thing, especially after I've been on call, like 100% is creamy mushroom pasta. I oh, just- sounds amazing. Addicted. Um, so my other half does the most amazing. It's using cashew nuts as a creamy base um, with kind of tomatoes, garlic, or no, it's um, it's mushrooms, garlic, and um, a bit of onion. Oh my God, it's so quick and easy to make and it is so tasty. So that's definitely my go-to, creamy mushroom pasta with cashew-based kind of cream sauce. Oh, heaven. <laughs> that, that sounds incredible. I do love a, a cashew base. So I use a, a cashew cream for my uh, lasagnas. Oh, also, so instead cool. of using pasta, use uh, sweet potato layers. Oh, well. yum. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love all the alternatives. I was watching a show last night. I'm obsessed with cooking shows, but uh, I was watching one last night that was using seaweed um, as an alternative to the pasta sheets. And I'm obsessed with seaweed. Um, uh, and I love adding kind of sea vegetables into my diet, but I haven't tried that. So I need to try out the sweet potato and seaweed now for my next lasagna. <laughs> You'll see it being posted on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it's it's well it's well worth it they're like just sweet, like, slice the sweet potato as thin as possible kind of like so it's like a, a sheet and then you obviously layer it just with like the cashew cream the like lentil bolognese oh, and um it, it it's incredible um it's my it's it's become like one of those weekly things now where i've oh, kind of managed to get myself obsessed with it it just takes a lot of time to create yeah that's it, isn't it? <laughs> but i suppose it's stuff like that if you make a big tray you can have it for a couple of meals isn't it oh yeah, i like it, it does last me it does last me a good four <laughs> or five days yes yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, it's just, oh, that's fantastic. I'm definitely going to give that a try. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will send you over the recipe as well. Um, after oh, this. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's uh, yeah, I think, but I, I, what do I, I think I use lentils and black beans in it and uh, oh, make it kind of like bolognese with like obviously garlic, ginger, all those bits and pieces inside. It's, it's incredible. Oh, that is tasty. I'm obsessed with black beans. Like, I love them. So definitely send that on over. I'd love that. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to chat. I love chatting about the gut microbiome and about um, nutrition health. I just absolutely love it. And I think it's such a, an amazing opportunity to be able to chat to you and hopefully give people some tools to make some changes um, for the better for themselves. Um, and it's just so great that you have this platform to be able to kind of communicate that. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>